Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Well, we welcome Sharon Lenfear. You're kind of, no, I don't know. You're, Sharon, you're Paul's chaperone in many ways, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, that's Taxi right. driver back in the UK. Taxi driver back in the UK. Yeah. Okay. So, Sharon, just quickly tell us a little bit about who you are so people know who um, you are. So, I'm Sharon um, from the UK. Um, I've been working with Paul, co-leading the Ugly Duckling for the last three and a half years. Yep. Why... Is the Ugly Duckling, or what, what is the Ugly Duckling Company? I mean, most people, you know, is it about transforming people? Is it giving them beauty packages? I don't, what no, is it? it's nothing like that. Ugly Duckling, we're called the Ugly Duckling Company just because it's a great name. <laughs> Can't argue with that. No. And um, we're a not-for-profit, and we exist to explore the question, how do you stimulate meaningful conversations in contemporary culture? Yeah, it's, it, how long has the company been going for? Um, oh, it's <laughs> question without notice. Sorry. Um, well, yeah, no, it's 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 been going as in Paul. Yep. Has been going for about twenty-one years. Okay. Um, yeah. And then we've been the Ugly Duckling Company for five or six. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. So, why do you believe in it so much? Why did you leave your previous life? Um, the things that you're a part of, the things that you invested in to be a part of this company so much? Um, Because I think it works. I think people are desperate to have conversations. And I think as an organisation, we're really exploring how you create the space to do that. I think, you know, I've worked with a group of women as we've been using some of our resources. And one of them said, I've been desperate to have conversations about life and the meaning of life and issues of life but I never want to be the one that brings it up in conversation. Yeah. So it's a fantastic opportunity to tap into some other ideas, yeah. It's just about creating those spaces, safe spaces for yeah. people to explore. So tell us, um, I didn't bring the resources today, but you can download it on an app. Yeah, we've got Table Talk, which you can download on um, the Apple App Store or on Google Play. And it's just, that's just a conversational game that you can get out and you can just get a group of friends together and uh, just have a conversation. Yeah. And everything, so everything about from Christmas to Easter to conversation for blokes, conversation in various age groups, conversations for um, uni- um, third ages, that was I was yeah. trying to think of, uh, third ages, um, conversations for married. Yeah. Uni, uni students. Uni students, yeah. So... Heaps of opportunity. We've got the resources up in our office. If you're into apps and having it on your phone, uh, go and look up Table Talk um, and you'll be able to get some information there as well. Why is it partnering with the local church so important then? Simply because the local church are the people that connect with the local community. Okay, good. Thanks for that. <laughs> Can't argue with that either, can you? So what are you doing in Australia then? You've travelled all the way from England, been on a plane for 20 hours. And um, the rest. <laughs> yeah, and the rest. Um, should say, so you arrived in Australia on Monday. No, Friday. Oh, Friday. Last, a week ago, Friday. Friday, a week yeah, ago. Yeah. 
and you went straight into a conference that day. Is that right? We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We so lasted yeah. to about three o'clock. And then <laughs> <that was it. laughs> wow. So what are you doing in Australia? Well, we've been in- invited to explore um, with various people here about starting the Ugly Duckling Company Australia. That's not to have an outlet where we just push our resources out here, but together with people from Australia, you explore what it means to stimulate conversations in contemporary yeah. culture. And that's fantastic. Have you noticed, so Paul might talk a little bit, but have you noticed, because I'm asking you, don't look to him for the answer. He's worried now. Because this is, yeah, what is he going to... Have you noticed any difference in the way that the conversations are stimulated in Australia than England? Oh, that's a tough question. I think the environments are different. But I don't think there is any difference in the fact that there are people who are desperate to explore the meaning of life. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. for your time. And, and just to say, the one thing I didn't say when, yep. when, um, about the local churches, we need people to pray for us. Yep. So um, that would be really great if you can do that. And we need people to support UDC Australia. So if there are individuals that want to become givers or churches, um, then that would be great. But do pray. Thank you. Thanks very much. Brilliant. Thank you for your time, Sharon. Brilliant. So it is great. I was put in touch uh, last year through my uh, mentor, uh, who has been a local church pastor uh, up in Sydney, Rick Lewis, and he introduced me uh, to this gentleman by the name of uh, Paul Griffiths. And uh, last year we started this conversation of how we stimulate conversations, how we encourage the church, and hence we've continued the relationship and uh, begun this year of conversation that we're hoping people will really take on and press in deeper and explore further. Um, if you're not part of a life group, you know, get in touch and we can get you connected. We'll start new ones if we have to. I know we've got a couple of leaders who are looking for people as well. Um, we really want to be uh, growing our heart um, for God but also for those who don't yet know God. Um, it's, you know, and I know we're all in touch with them. We all connect with them every day. Uh, and it's really easy to connect with them, but never go deeper. And sometimes it's a bit tough. There's a barrier in ourselves. There might be a barrier in others. Maybe we've made a couple of mistakes, and so we feel a little bit scared about pressing in again. We really want to grow and really want to go forward with the kingdom uh, of the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, it's a real privilege today to be able to welcome Paul Griffiths, who's the founder of the Ugly Duckling Company uh, and been spending time with us. Uh, We've been having a lot of laughs um, and a lot of great teaching as well. So would you welcome Paul as he comes and uh, teaches us? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn to uh, Matthew 28, some well-known verses. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. In my Bible, it's entitled The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then there's this wonderful promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then if you jump into Romans and chapter 1, again, some very well-known verses, verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm sure that all of you would agree with me today when I say that Jesus Christ is alive. The stone has been rolled away, the tomb is empty, and the Savior is risen. I'm also sure that all of you would agree with me today when I was to say that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Through his death on the tree, we can have peace with God. I'm also sure that most of you would agree with me today when I say that the world is lost. Having wandered out of the garden, mankind has become destined to a lost eternity. I'm also sure that most of you would agree with me today when I say that the gospel is good news. It's something you could shout across the street. He passed his test. Everything's okay. It's, it's good news. I'm also sure that most of you would agree with me today when I say that corporately and individually, each of us has been commissioned by God to take this good news to our lost world. Appropriately and sensitively, we're supposed to step out of our comfort zone and when opportunities open up before us, talk to people that we love and know about the Saviour who died for us. And I'm also sure that everybody in this room would agree with me when I say, sometimes that's really difficult to do. Uh, A number of years ago, I was at a theological college, and every Friday, we used to have something called uh, evangelism. We used to go out onto the streets of Birmingham, and uh, we were responsible or encouraged to talk to others about our faith. Some people did door-to-door evangelism, some people did an open air, uh, some people did schools, but we had to go out and practice some of the theory that we were being taught in class. I think it's fair to say that the fact that we had evangelism on Friday transformed our whole day. Uh, During college, we used to have something called house prayers at 6.50 in the morning. Monday through to Thursday, most students would wake up, well in my house anyway, would wake up by 6.49 and manage to be dressed and washed for house prayers at 6.50, Monday through to Thursday. But on Friday, students in the house were awake by about 5 o'clock in the morning. 
You see, the thought of talking to somebody else about Jesus, stepping out of your comfort zone, robbed the students of sleep. But as well as affecting how we woke up, uh, sorry, when we woke up, it also affected how we woke up. I'm a fairly uh, good sleeper. I, I put my head on the pillow. I drop straight off to sleep. I wake up in the morning. The birds are singing. There's a rainbow in the sky. I mean, it's just a wonderful experience. Monday through to Thursday. But on Friday, the thought of doing evangelism not only determined when I woke up, but also how I woke up. My mind was uneasy. I was agitated. There was no peace there. The thought of having to talk to somebody I didn't know about Jesus really disturbed me as an individual. It shaped when I woke up. It shaped how I woke up. It also seemed to shape for the student body their attendance and attentiveness at lectures. Once upon a time, our principal had been an outstanding man of God. The problem was, it was once upon a time. And, and, and by now, when I was at college, the glory had departed. And he'd become the most boring individual on the planet. We weren't allowed to sit by the opposite sex um, in, in college. And so most students would use the time to either try and eye up one of the people on the other side of the room, count the number of tiles on the, te- uh, on the ceiling, and because it was pre-computer, write letters home to friends and family, Monday through to Thursday. On Friday, not only were there more students present in his lectures, but he seemed to be better. It's almost as if the students had been transformed by the fact that we were doing evangelism. We were more open, more hungry, more keen to engage. It affected when we woke up. It affected how we woke up. It affected our attendance and evangel- uh, at lectures. Now, forgive me for the crudeness of this, but the fact that we had evangelism on Fridays also impacted our toilet habits. Uh, at college, we ate an awful lot of stodgy food. And the consequence of that was, for most students, constipation. But never on Fridays. <laughs> because evangelism can do that to you. It can help you go when figs can't. When I think about um, why I and the student body was reacting as we were to the thought of sharing our faith with others, I discovered two things going on inside me. First of all, I was really fearful. What I was fearful of, I don't know, but I was really scared about sharing my faith with others. And the other feeling that was going on inside me was a sense of inadequacy. I just didn't think I would be able to do that which I was being asked to do. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul says that he's not ashamed. To be ashamed means to be rigid with fear. It means to be apologetic in communication. It means that when a door of opportunity is opened up before you, rather than going through that door, you shrink back. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. 
He doesn't say, I don't feel fearful at times. He doesn't say, I don't feel inadequate. What he says is that despite these emotions that rage within me, gladiators, if you like, that fight against me, despite these, when there's a door of opportunity to share my faith, I go for it. So what I thought we could do this morning, ever so briefly and ever so simply, is look together at some of the reasons why Paul was not ashamed and hopefully reasons why we don't need to be ashamed when it comes to us stepping out of our comfort zone and sharing our faith with our friends and family, workmates and neighbours. Now I'm going to need some voluntary participation. How that works in my mind is if I point at you, you come to the front, okay? But do feel as if you're a volunteer. That's absolutely fine with me. So Simon, do you want to come and help me first? That would be great. It's a walk-on part, mate. You haven't got to say anything. You haven't got to do anything. You've just got to walk on. What's your best side, Simon? Is it your right side or your left side? Right yeah. side. Yeah, okay. There you go. Done that then. So um, the first reason why we don't need to be ashamed with regards to sharing our faith is because ours is the power of prayer. Okay, I want you to imagine that Simon isn't a Christian. And um, when you think about somebody who isn't a Christian, uh, what is it that you see? Well, before I became a Christian, if I'd been Simon and I'd been staring in the mirror, what I'd see in front of me would be somebody who's loved by God. Okay, it's really important that we get our head around that. People who don't know God are loved by God. And if you're not a Christian this morning, what you need to take away from our service is that God loves you. There's a full stop there. So when Simon looks in the mirror, he sees somebody who's loved by God. But there's other stuff going on as well. The Bible says that before Simon became a Christian, before I became a Christian, we were spiritually blind. Um, You believe in a world that you can't see and a world that you can see, don't you? And you believe, is that right? Okay, good. And uh, you believe that the world that you can't see impacts the world that you can see, don't you? So if you were to read Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says there are two ways of looking at the world. You can look at the world under the sun or you can look at the world under heaven. To look at the world under the sun is to see the world without God in the frame. And to look at the world under heaven is to see life with God in the frame. You see life under heaven, don't you? You think God is all around us impacting the world that we live in. When Simon looks at the world, the Bible says he's spiritually blind. He can't see what you see. The Bible also says that he's spiritually dumb. If I was to say to Simon this morning, "Mein Vlinge nieve modin hoya," or "Ruchi misos," remember I said about a walk-on part, don't say anything, all that sort of stuff. Yes, really not complicated at all, right? Um, so if I was to say to Simon, "Mein Vlinge nieve modin hoya." Or, or Simon wouldn't understand what I was saying because he doesn't speak the language of heaven, uh, which is Welsh. As a, an aside, it, it's, it's, always the la- it's also the language of rugby, right? Sorry for being late. And because I saw a blank expression on Simon's face, 
Rocky, me sus, give me a kiss. <laughs> but he couldn't do either because he didn't understand what I was saying. What the Bible says is that when we go to share our faith with our friends, they're loved by God, but they can't see what we're saying and they can't understand what we're saying. They hear words, but they don't hear the biblical principles and insights beyond those words. They don't understand the truth that we're communicating. He can't see it. He can't understand it. And what the Bible also says is that Simon is spiritually deaf. Um, I've got a daughter uh, called Hannah. Um, as an aside, she's 25 and single. Um, I, I, and I've got a picture on my phone. Um, I've got a daughter called Hannah. And um, when Hannah was a child, um, she suffered from a, not a severe but common childhood illness called can't hear. Whenever I asked her to do something that she didn't want to do, my daughter could never hear what I was saying. But whenever I asked her to do something that she did want to do, she could hear from about 350 yards. What the Bible says is that when we share our faith with Simon, not only can he not see what we're saying, not only can he not understand what we're saying, but he also can't hear what we're saying. He doesn't hear the truth of the words. Now, does anyone have any money on them this morning? I need some money just for a part of this illustration. I'm looking for something. $50 is good. $100 would be better. Um, Does anyone have a large note on them? Any husbands been given money by their wives to come to church today? What have you got, mate? What's this? Just count this. 20, 40. Okay, does anyone else have any money? <laughs> Anybody got any money this morning? I just need, what, how much you got? 50. Okay, that's 90. What else we got? <laughs> Do you have some money in that purse? probably haven't been open for a while. So it's about $120 here, right? If I was to offer this money to Simon, I have no doubt that he'll be able to take this money off me and make it his own, okay? I know him just a little bit, but I know that if I offered him the money, he'd be able to take it. What the Bible says... (laughs) What the Bible says... Serious point. What the Bible says is that when we try to offer the gospel to Simon, he can't take what we're offering because his heart is closed to the good news. So he can't see it, he can't understand it, he can't hear it, and he can't receive it for himself. And the reason for that is because he's turned his back on God. Okay? That's not the most encouraging scenario in which to share your faith. Unless you appreciate that ours is the power of prayer. Why do you think Moses went up onto the mountain to pray and sent Joshua into battle? Because of the power of prayer. What was Paul's confidence in winning over the Corinthians for the gospel? The power of prayer. 
If two or three agree on earth, what does Jesus say? It will be bound in heaven. What does Jesus also say? And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Praying for Simon and people like Simon causes the Spirit of God to move on their lives so that eyes that can't see suddenly begin to see the truth of the gospel. Minds that can't understand, suddenly the penny drops. Ears that can't hear suddenly begin to hear the gospel and hearts that are closed suddenly become open to our message. You can't bring people to faith through prayer. But you can pray them into a place where they are their most receptive to hearing the good news. Why don't we need to be ashamed of the gospel? Because we can pray for people. We can pray for people in triplets. And Billy Graham came to Britain in 1986 for a massive crusade. Before he got there, somebody came up with the idea of prayer triplets. People got together in threes, praying for three people they know who didn't know Christ. The number of people who got converted before Billy got to Britain was phenomenal because of the power of prayer. I don't know if there's any Koreans in the audience, but um, over the last 40 years, about 40% of the Korean population has become Christian. And when you go to South Korea and you see in Seoul, a city of 10 million, four million Christians, and the skyline is lit with crosses, you go and you want to ask a question. How do you do it? You know, how did you go from a minute number of Christians to being 40% a Christian country and now one of the largest missionary forces in the world? How did you do it? How did you bring about that transformation? Do you know their answer is really disappointing? It's almost as if somebody's written a memo. If, any should, if anybody should come from the land of fog, which is how they describe Britain, um, smelling of dairy, which is also how they describe Britons, um, give them this answer. Do you know how they turned their country from 1% or 2% to 40% Christian in 40 years? Prayer. I mean, how unglamorous is that? They don't have better churches than us. They don't have better ministers than us. You have a really good minister. I hope you're looking after him. They don't have better leadership teams than us, though you've got okay leaders as well. They've got great buildings, but you're about to have one of those as well. Those aren't the reasons that they've turned career upside down. The reason they've turned career upside down is because six mornings a week, from six till seven o'clock in the morning, 80 plus percent of the church gets together to pray that God might move by his spirit. And as God moves, Koreans have come to Jesus. Does anybody here have friends who they'd like to see come to Jesus? Anybody have family or colleagues or neighbors? Do you know how we're going to do it? We're going to do it as we pray together. And if we don't pray together, it isn't going to happen. That's about coming to your three weekly prayer meetings. It's about bringing prayer into your life groups. It's about giving yourself to prayer because you know at the end of the day, the only way that your friends will come to Jesus is because you pray for them. You're not going to exist in 50 years. Your church is going to be empty. Horsham is going to be lost. 
unless you up your game with regards to prayer. Unless you give yourself to the pursuit of God and the purposes of God. When you stand before the throne of God, you are going to be embarrassed. Because he's going to say to you, so what did you do? Yeah, but we were just ordinary people. Everybody's ordinary. It's never been about our ability. It's always been about our availability to pray. And you don't have to be an expert at praying. I mean, you're rubbish at rugby, so prayer should be something you should take on with a minimum of ease. And we're not even talking about cricket yet. Last year, your national team came over to our country. The number of unused cricket bats that they left behind, and something, I think it was about that size, um, you haven't got to be good at it. You've just got to give yourself to it. And as you pray together, God will move, lives will be transformed, and something special will happen in Horsham. You've got to get together in threes. You've got to use your life groups to pray. You've got to attend the church meeting, and your services have got to be, no, got to be given over to prayer. Because as we pray, God moves. And as God moves... Lives are transformed. Why don't we need to be ashamed? Because ours is the power of prayer. Uh, Billy was asked once, uh, what was the secret of his success? Um, he's not the greatest of preachers, Billy Graham. Um, if you've ever heard him preach, he, he, he doesn't have structure or logic to his talks. His illustrations are normally pretty poor. Um, but when he says, I want you to get out of your seats and come forward... Thousands upon thousands of people get out of their seats and come forward. So somebody said to him once, well, why? What's the secret of your success? He said, there are three reasons why people come forward when they make an appeal. Do you know what they are? Prayer, prayer, and prayer. There's another fella called Reinhard Bonnke. He's a German evangelist. He works in Africa. He has the world's largest tent. It seats, I think, about 20,000 people. And, and Reinhardt takes his tent all over Africa having crusades and large numbers of people come to know Jesus. Now what's interesting about Reinhardt is not just the fact that he has the world's largest tent, but he also has a small tent that seats about 100 people. And wherever the big tent goes, the little tent goes as well. And the little tent is Reinhardt's prayer tent. So when he's preaching the gospel, there's 100 people next door praying. And he believes as they pray and he preaches... God moves. We tried this as a theory. I was invited to go and speak at a Baptist church somewhere. And um, it was a guest service. Rather large uh, auditorium. And um, we asked five people from the congregation to go upstairs and pray for the service. Not five people we didn't like. Five people we thought would be good prayers. Okay? upstairs to pray for the service. Do you know, it was an incredible service. Now, the worship that day was really good, but that's not why it was an incredible service. And the drama that day was incredibly good, but that's not why it was an incredible service. And the soloist was outstanding that day, but that's not why it was an incredible service. And I was pretty good. And that's not why. No, I was. I mean, if they'd have thrown back the baptistry, I could have walked on water. I was so anointed. I tell you, I was in the zone. You know, you want to drive around the car park twice saying goodbye to everybody because you know you've had a good Sunday and it's good to be congratulated. I mean, I was on fire. But it wasn't even a great service because of that. 
The reason God moved in a way that morning like he hadn't moved in the history of that church and a number of people came to Jesus was because five ordinary people were asking God to do it. And as God, as they asked, God moved and lives were transformed. We don't need to be ashamed because of the power of prayer. Okay, Simon, you're back on. Um, Let's go down here this time, shall we? So this time, Simon's become a Christian, okay? So if you stand just there, great, thanks, mate. There we are, good. So um, the second reason that we don't need to be ashamed with regards to sharing our faith is because ours are the promises of God. So when you think about sharing your faith with friends, most people see it as a one-on-one encounter, a sort of a, a shootout at the OK Corral, if you remember the Westerns of the past. And it's the first person to draw that wins the, uh, wins the, the conversation. But you know, faith sharing is nothing like that. In fact, it's a million miles away from being like that. So would you come and help me? That's great. So you're going to play Jesus, okay? Again, this is just a walk-on part, right? You don't have to say anything. So I reckon Jesus would stand on his right, okay? So just, just, just tuck in nicely. So if you stand there, Simon, that's right, great. What the Bible says is that when Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith, Jesus comes with him. Now, I don't know if you know much about Jesus, but from what I know, He's pretty good at faith sharing. He always seemed to know what to say to the people he encountered. You know the rich young ruler? One thing you lack. To Israel's greatest religious leader, you must be born again. Remember the funeral procession of Nain? There's this widow who's lost her husband and she's about to bury her son and they're walking to the grave and she bumps into Jesus and what happens? She nearly drops dead. Do you know why? Because he raises her son from the grave. That Jesus comes with this man when he steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith. That's pretty good, isn't it? Maybe just a little bit then. It is, isn't it? The thought that Jesus might come with you when you go to share your faith, I mean, that's slightly positive. But it's even better than that. Um, What the Bible says is that when Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith, not only does Jesus come with him, but so does... um, Yeah, you can come and help. That's great. You can be the Holy Spirit, okay? For some of these, we're going to have to stretch our imagination. But um, if you be the Holy Spirit, that'll be great, okay? So what the Bible... I'm only coming once. I can say whatever I want. Um, Well, twice, because I have to come back and apologize next time. Um, The Bible says that when Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me, not only does Jesus come with him, but so does the Spirit. Now, again, I don't know if you know much about the Spirit of God, but he's pretty good at witnessing as well. He's been doing it for the last 2,000 years. If you read Acts chapter 10, there's this wonderful description of the work of the Spirit and the mission of God. And in Acts chapter 10, Luke tells us that the Spirit of God is the director of mission. He's the enabler of mission. He's the convictor of mission. This Spirit comes with this man when he steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith. Now, one of the Spirit's particular fortes is that he's not fussy on who he uses. He used an ass or a donkey in the Old Testament and rumour has it 
that he used such people in the New Testament as well. So if you're breathing, you're usable as far as the purposes of God are involved. Remember what I said earlier? It's not about ability, it's about our availability. When Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me, Jesus comes with him and so does the Spirit. It's pretty good, isn't it? You almost think Jehovah's Witnesses are onto something when they send people out in threes, right? Something going on there? But it's even better than that for us. Now, this is when we really have to use our imagination. Joan, could you come and help me? That's not an offer. It's like a... Come on. Come on. Looking lovely today, by the way. Could you stand up on the stage? Okay, that's right. If you just stand just there, that's lovely. And then... uh, Annette, if you'd come and help me as well. Andrea, sorry, not Annette. Andrea, um, you've got to stand up as well next to Joan. Is that okay? Now, massive imagination, angels. Okay? <laughs> not Charlie's angels, but angels. Okay, if you're old enough to remember Charlie's angels, if you're not, ask your parents when you get home, they'll explain it to you. When Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me, the Bible says that Jesus comes with him, the Spirit comes with him, and so do the the angels of God. They're there to fight battles on our behalf, bring sustenance to us, be engaged in the spiritual battle that's going on. When you shared your faith with your friend at the local pub or the local coffee shop, you just thought it was you and them, right? But it's far more than that. You wonder how they manage to get through the door, right? You know, when you go and visit a friend who isn't a Christian, Simon knocks the door, can I come in? He's bringing half of heaven with him. But it's even better than that. Who's like the father figure of the church? Henry, do you want to come and help me? Henry, you're going to play the... God the Father, not the Godfather, okay? (laughs) And there's a subtle difference there, as you'll know yourself. I'm Paul. Good to meet you, mate. You all right to come sit down? So you're going to play God the Father, okay? What the Bible says is that when Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me, not only does Jesus come with him, not only does the Spirit come with him, not only do angels come with him, but so does God the Father. You know with the everlasting arms so that if you fall, he's going to catch you. He's not going to let you end up in situations that you can't control. I don't know if you're interested in what the purposes of God are for this church or what your future is. Let me tell you this. Your future individually and collectively is found in the heart of the Father. And can I tell you what the heart of the Father is for? Those who don't know him. The heart of the Father is for the 15,000 people in Horsham that have no relationship with him. The purpose of your church, the purpose of your new building, the purpose of your programs, the purpose of your money, the very purpose of your lives is wrapped up in the fact that your God loves lost people. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? It's like the father who breaks social protocol to run to his returning repentant son in Luke chapter 15. It's like the farmer who leaves the safe 99 sheep 
to go in search of the one. It's like the widow who scours the house for the lost coin. Your God loves lost people. You're the only organization on earth that exists for those who are not yet your members. You are called to give yourself to the purposes of God, which is the salvation of people. When this man steps out of his comfort zone, Jesus comes with him, the Spirit comes with him, angels come with him, and so does God the Father. Isn't that just brilliant? Isn't it? But it's better than that. Now, does anyone have a favorite Bible character? Okay, let me just start here. Do you know what the Bible is? Okay. And some of you read it. That's good. And in the Bible, there are people who did really great things, and they can be heroes to us. So, does anyone have a favorite Bible character? So you come and be Esther. Come and stand up on the stage and be Esther. Who else has a favorite Bible character? Come and be Paul then. That's great. Anybody else? I'm going to, I haven't asked you what your Bible character is yet. Love, you're up. What's your favorite Bible character? Oh, you're Paul and you're Paul. Are you Paul? Yeah. You both you be, be Paul. Paul. You both, no, both be Paul. Two women together. Experience, stay well away. Up on the stage, ladies. Okay, what else have we got? Who else has a favorite Bible character? Do you have a favorite Bible character? Do you know what the Bible is? John. John, come and be John then. That's really good. You've been smiling too much for the entire talk, so great. Anybody else? Come and be David. That's great. Anybody else got a favorite Bible character? Ruth. Come and be Ruth then. Who else has got a favorite Bible character? Come and be Peter. Thank you. Who else? Some of you have been desperate to be out the front on the stage, and this is your opportunity, okay? Because you're not going to get another chance, so you may as well seize this moment. Who else has a favorite Bible character? Joshua. Come and be Joshua. What about you, buddy? I was going to say Joshua. So if you can pick another character, who would it be? Timothy. Come and be Timothy, then. That's great. Okay. Who else has a favorite Bible character? Anybody? I'm not in a rush to go home. I'm here for another two weeks, okay? So... Come and be Stephen. Great, interesting choice. Really interesting choice. Come and be Gideon. That's brilliant. Come and be David. Okay, Jacob. Great, thank you. Um, In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. When... Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me. The Bible says not only does Jesus come with him, probably smiling, I'm guessing. Not only does the Spirit, because Jesus would have been a happy person, I'm guessing. Um, Not only does the Spirit, not only do angels, not only does God the Father, but we're also surrounded by this enormous crowd of witnesses that are all shouting the same thing. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. He's somebody you can trust. Do you know what I think needs to happen this morning? We need to open our eyes. We just need to see it as it really is. When Simon steps out of his comfort zone to share his faith with me, when you step out of your comfort zone to share your faith with your friends or family, workmates or neighbors, appropriately and sensitively, heaven comes with you. Isn't that just brilliant? 
We need God to open our eyes, right? Let's give them a little clap as they go back. One of my favorite Bible stories is um, in Acts chapter 8. And it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you know the story, Philip's been leading a revival campaign um, in a city in Samaria. And the spirit says to him, go down on the desert road, the desert road that goes down to Gaza. And Philip obeys. And he heads down on that road. And as he heads down on the road, he finds an Ethiopian reading a passage of scripture. And the Ethiopian happens to be the treasurer to the queen of Candace. Now, what you don't read in the scriptures, but which would have been true to life, is that the Ethiopian would have been guarded by gladiators. Men who were there to protect him and to kill anybody who inappropriately approached him. Not the most of inviting of evangelistic opportunities, I think. But what does Philip do? He runs up to the man and shares his faith with the man. Why did he do that? Because I think Philip had an idea on the promises of God. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Matthew 28. I will not leave you as orphans. The promise of the Spirit. When we step out of our comfort zone, God comes with us. Why don't we need to be ashamed this morning? Because we can pray. I think we need to give ourselves to prayer, right? Why don't we need to be ashamed this morning? Because ours are the promises of God. And lastly... The third reason we don't need to be ashamed is found in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, because it is. Notice those two beautiful words, it is. Not it might be, not it could be, not it is depending upon circumstances. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is. There is an absolute certainty. It is, what what is it Paul? It is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of man, no. Of the mind, no. Of human effort, no. Of money, no. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And what is the power of God? We'll jump into 2 Corinthians. The power of God is Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is Jesus. Have you met anybody as attractive as Jesus? Have you met anybody as incredible as Jesus? Who could calm a storm, raise a dead person, give words of life in the most painful of situations? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for what? What is it the power of God for? For salvation. To understand salvation, you've got to think in three tenses. Past, present, future. When Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation. Past tense, forgiveness of sins. Present tense, peace with God. Future tense, I've got a home in glory. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of who? Everyone. (laughs) No, no, no. You don't know my husband. You don't know my neighbor. You don't know my kids. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Why is that? For in the gospel, a way of being right with God is revealed. 
The good news of Jesus answers the fundamental needs of humanity, how we find peace with God. We have this morning the most exciting, life-giving message that anybody could hear. Jesus. Why don't we need to be ashamed? Because of the power of prayer. Because of the promises of God. Because of the power of the gospel. One more story then. I come from a, a working class background. Social housing is how you might describe it. Therefore, my dad was always trying creatively to find ways that we could be fed as a family. My dad was a bit of a singer. Uh, Most Welshmen are. Um, My dad could sing. And um, around Christmas time, my dad would get lots of gigs as a singer. So lots of people would be throwing Christmas parties. And uh, from about mid-November to early January, almost every evening... My mum and dad, my sister and I would be out in the car going to somebody's house or somebody's venue for my dad to entertain the people who had gathered. And and the payoff was we always got fed. My dad had a particular song that he liked to sing. It's a Johnny Mathis number. I don't know if you know who Johnny Mathis is. Search on Google or YouTube if you don't. And uh, my dad had a Johnny Mathis number that was like his pièce de résistance. And it went something like this. I'm not going to sing it for you because we don't know each other well enough. So I'm just going to recite the words, okay? The world is waiting, waiting for one child. Black, white, yellow, no one knows. But a child that will grow up and turn tears to laughter, hate to love, war to peace, and misery and suffering will be words to be forgotten. I'll say that again. And the world is waiting, waiting for one child. Black, white, yellow, no one knows. But a child that will grow up and turn tears to laughter, hate to love, war to peace, and misery and suffering will be words to be forgotten. Do you know what the good news is this morning? That child has been born. And do you know what his name is? Jesus. And do you know what the bad news is this morning? The world is still waiting. Waiting for you to get up off your backsides and appropriately and sensitively share your faith with the people that you know. And as you do that, you do it in the power of prayer, with the promises of God, with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? So we're going to take a few moments to pray. The God of heaven is here. His son Jesus is here. The spirit of God is here. And so as we sit in this auditorium, we sit in their presence. For some of us this morning, the right response is to give ourselves again to the purposes of God. Maybe you've become a little bit quiet with regards to faith sharing distracted with regards to faith sharing, apathetic with regards to faith sharing. Maybe you've got involved in other stuff that you shouldn't be involved in and therefore lost your way with regards to the mission of God. And this morning's an ideal opportunity 
as we sit together, to quietly bow your head and bow your heart and surrender your life again to the purposes of the Father. And you can do that where you are right now. And for some of us right now, there are people on our minds who don't know God that we need to pray for, that we need to contact, that we need to meet with and and nurture that friendship again and share life together. And for some of us, the response right now is to determine to set aside in in this next month moments to connect with others. And for some of us right now, the best thing that could happen to us is that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Remember our illustration? The Spirit of God comes with us. And some of us need to give ourselves over again to his fullness. And if that's you, you might find it helpful to cup your hands upwards, just quietly where you're sat, as an expression of God, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. That as ordinary as I am, I might be caught up in your purposes. If you'd like to all stand, I'd like to pray for you if that's okay. You have been saved that you might know God. You have been saved that you might serve God. Your life is no longer your own. It is the Father's. It is the Son. It is the Spirit. God's heart for you is that you might join him in reaching the people of Horsham and beyond. These are his purposes for this town and these are your purposes for this town. So as ordinary as we are, Father, we want this morning, collectively and individually, to give ourselves again to you. We thank you for the way that you've worked out your purposes in the past. We thank you for the lives that you've changed. We thank you for the vision that we already have. But we want to say, God, that we want more. More of your heart more of your vision, more of your power, that people in this place, this town, might have a saving relationship with yourself. God will do our best, but we know our best will never be enough. So give us all that we need, we ask. There are people in this room who have the gift of the evangelist. You have a special ability given to you by God to bring others to Jesus. We're all called to share our faith, but there are some people here who have this unique ability. If that's you, I invite you to lift your hands quietly where you are. Father God, release the gift of the evangelist among us, we pray. As we go ape, Father God, help us to discover the evangelists within our church. And release them and empower them that they might work with us to bring people to Jesus. For we pray this all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
If you've been offended at all by anything that I say, can I just remind you that Simon invited me and you already have his email address. Thank you very much, everybody. God bless you. I think it's appropriate that we actually gather around them and pray for them as part of their mission. So feel free to lay hands on their shoulders, on their heads. Raise your hands if that's an appropriate response for you. Hold your hands in an upward kind of allowing God to continue to fill us. But God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you because you are the God of all glory. You're the God of heaven and earth. You're the God of all creation, all that is seen and unseen. We want to thank you and praise you because you are our Father. Father, we want to thank you for the powerful reminder that we've received today about how we walk through this life. Let us never, ever forget that we walk through this life with you, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and all who have gone before us. Father, we want to thank you for the ministry of Paul. We want to thank you for the ministry that Paul and Sharon share together. We want to thank you for the ministry and the mission of the Ugly Duckling Company. Father, we want to thank you for the heart to resource and inspire local churches to again be reminded and to remember of our call, of the heart that you have for the lost. And Father, we pray that as Paul and Sharon travel, as they meet with people, as they spend time in conversations, as they spend time challenging and being challenged, that you'll refresh them, that you'll grant them the wisdom, the discernment and the words required to speak into the church in Australia. Father, we pray for the partnerships that they're longing to have with local churches to raise up someone who can be served locally in Australia as part of the Ugly Duckling Company. Father, we pray that you'll bring that person before them who will provide great um, insight, great wisdom and great relationships for their ongoing work throughout Australia. Father, give us a heart for prayer and we pray that Paul and Sharon will continue to pray in their ministry, and their work, that they would be refreshed in their prayer. May you continue to remind them of your love for them, that you love them as your children. For all that they work with, the people they work with, for their families, Father, that they would be reminded that they are loved by you first. Full stop, exclamation mark. Father, we ask that you might continue to sustain Paul and Sharon in all that they do, in all that they are, that you would continue to fill them to overflowing and wherever they walk, whoever they speak with, that they would be touched and have an encounter of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. That their heart and their skills and their gifting for evangelism, for sharing the story, for communicating your story, Father, would continue to increase, would continue to grow, that you would continue to put people before them who can resource and give them ideas and help develop the ideas that they have so that this tool, this skill, this ability would grow throughout the churches, throughout Australia and throughout the world. Father, thank you for the word that we've heard today. May your word continue to bring life. May it not simply be a seed that is planted on rocky ground, but may it be a seed that's planted in soil. May you water it in season and out of season. May we never forget the word that we've been given today. And like with Paul and Sharon, may we continue to walk in boldness, not ashamed of the gospel because it is the good news, the salvation for everyone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Why don't we again celebrate and give thanks for Paul and Sharon and their ministry amongst us.